Samantha Riedel is a freelance writer focusing on politics and culture from a queer trans perspective. You may have seen her work on Vice, Bitch Media, Publishers Weekly, and a few other places. I first met Sam on a podcast interview in 2016, and our love of pro wrestling forged a bond that won't soon be broken. When I asked Sam what she might want to talk about, she mentioned Animorphs, a book series where a group of kids battle an alien invasion with a newly found power of morphing into any animal they touch. Early on, we stick with the story of Tobias, a main character who didn't fit in with the other kids, stayed in his animal form for too long, and permanently changed into a red-tailed hawk. I, I remember walking in one day, and I was in about third grade, and I happened on a paperback copy of number three, The Encounter which is uh, the first Tobias book. It's the first uh, book in the series that's narrated by um, a character whose really defining trait is um, he's the first person to get trapped in one of these animal uh, morphs. Um, he, after the first book, which this is not a spoiler, and there are going to be more spoilers uh, as we go on because I can't possibly do this podcast without spoiling something. Um, he spends uh, essentially the entire series uh, uh, in a in a hawk body, um, or or as as a hawk, as this human hawk sort of hybrid being. Um, and this is and the third book is the first time that we get to see any part of the series through his eyes, and it's fascinating um and it's and it's it's really gripping in obviously in a way that attracted me as a as a young child who was just the age when uh, when they really needed uh, an action sort of semi superhero thing like that um but also in ways that i would much much later on as i came out as as a transgender woman um recognize as these like little proto uh trans identity feels um that it, it it's it's taken me a very long time to go back and recognize um and it's a little hilarious <laughs> to be honest uh, there are these weird oblique things but um but it's also really poignant too um it, it, it whole series just has such a a deep an abiding place in my heart. Absolutely. Like I read, uh, this is the first time I've ever read Animorphs. It's like the second time I've ever even heard of it. So I was like, uh, I, when you first suggested it, that this is kind of the book that you wanted to talk about. I was like, what is this? First of all, (laughs) (laughs) and I had mentioned it, uh, to some friends of mine. And I think I tweeted about it from the Lincoln bio Twitter account. And a few people like hit me up like, Oh, you're going to do Animorphs. Like, that's so awesome. And I don't know what I was, maybe I was just sticking to comics purely at the time. So I totally Mm. missed it. Um, But these are actually really well written. Like even as a full, like an adult now reading it and it's, you know, primarily for teens and, and kind of younger, I felt like it still resonates. Like the book that you're talking about specifically Tobias's like first book it's all they're all narrated first person one person per book I was reading his inner monologue about being stuck 
um, as an animal, red-tailed hawk, and to this day, to this day, my mother still uh, sends me texts whenever she sees a red-tailed hawk <laughs> out in the wild, just <laughs> just because I was so obsessed. Yeah, and, and, and his character was kind of like the dweeb, the person that got picked on in school, didn't have a lot of friends. So him getting this power was like a re- revelation to him. But then in the first book, he goes past the two hour time limit, gets stuck uh, as the hawk. And then this book, the inner dialogue of him starting to be more hawk ish because he has to balance like trying to become the human mind while being a hawk and like both are kind of battling but there was one mm-hmm. specific scene where he saw the fem- the other hawk and he started to like feel an attraction to the hawk it was like mind blowing yeah. to me i was like holy crap when did this book come out this is amazing yeah so i really want to talk about that um and and because the first chapter, it's 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 all in the first chapter, um, and then it just gets more um, blatant from there. And I, I'm I'm talking about I should be speaking in complete sentences. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I was talking about with um, uh, seeing uh, transness and and trans feelings uh, in P- Tobias in particular mm-hmm. um, starts with the first chapter of of number three. Um, he his first line is uh my name is tobias a freak of nature one of a kind and if that really doesn't sum up uh to me the sort of uh like glory and uh loss almost uh of that that i that i and i think a lot of other trans women feel at, at the point of like coming to terms with our identities like this is amazing and this is also like really hard and discouraging and depressing um and you sort of have to find a way to make those things balance and that's uh what this book most of tobias's books throughout the series but um what this book in particular is about um uh, and, and and about what it sets up because in, in the first chapter, Tobias goes in and rescues this female red-tailed hawk um, because mm-hmm. he sees it on a on a commercial and it's just uh, being caged up at a used car lot as kind of, as a shitty mascot. Can I curse on this podcast, by the way? <laughs> you you can, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. That's probably going to come out. Uh, <laughs> so um, Tobias recruits Rachel. Um, another one of the Animorphs to come in and, uh, and basically bust this captive bird, uh, out of, out of its cage, which is a bad idea when you're trying Mm -hmm. to wage a a secret guerrilla war (laughs) on a, a, on an invading alien force. But Tobias does not really always do what is the smart thing. Uh, neither does Rachel. That is why they're perfect together. Um, I love them so much. He, uh, so yeah, they, they bust her out and he has, as she kind of flies away, um, Tobias has this sense of longing and the sense that he Mm. should be going after her. Um, and, uh, and like has to jolt himself out of this sort of reverie and, and go on and join Rachel. Um, but, that it, it does it does happen again later on um and i 
just had the passage um the the one the one part that i specifically wrote down i think it was at the end of book three um well it was like one of the last lines it was uh tobias a boy whose face i could no longer remember no longer existed i was like oh my god this is insane yeah and it's and there is i will admit that uh the tobias as trans uh sort of icon thing here is not a perfect metaphor there is a lot about tobias's story that is about as as all of their are all the characters arcs are about trauma um and that's Mm -hmm. something that i'm sure that we'll get into more as we proceed into the conversation but like there's a lot about Tobias that is uh, about depersonalization and how his trauma affects him like that. Um, but there is also like, there are these uh, just symbolic things and details in the narrative details in Tobias's narrative that really speak to me about that. Uh, and I'm still, Oh yeah, there we go. Here we go. When the when the team kind of finds this, the book is about uh, finding a, a cloaked ship, um, which is the first of its kind that they can tell, uh, and uh, basically trying to utilize that to make a make a bigger dent in the invasion that they've mm-hmm. been doing for the last couple of books. Um, and as the team is kind of like figuring out what to do, uh, Tobias sees that red tail talk again. And uh, they meet in midair, and this is the passage. It wasn't like we were friends. Hawks don't know what friend means. And she certainly did not feel any gratitude towards me for saving her from captivity. Hawks don't have that sort of emotion either. In fact, in her mind, there may have been no connection between me and her freedom. Still, I soared up to her. I don't know why. I really don't. All we shared was the same outer body. We both had wings. We both had talons. We both had feathers. Suddenly I was afraid. I was afraid of her. And it was insane because there I was floating above an alien spaceship so big it could have been turned into a ball. But it was the hawk that frightened me. Or maybe not the hawk herself. Maybe it was the feeling I had rising up to meet her in the sky. The feeling of recognition. The feeling of going home. The feeling that I belonged with her. Tobias has a whole wave of uh, horror that he would even think about such a thing um, is that I was I was human. I was a boy named Tobias, a boy with blonde hair that was always a mess, a boy with human friends, human interests. But part of me kept saying, "It's a lie. It's a lie. You are the hawk, and the hawk is you, and Tobias is dead." <laughs> That's like, like it, it just it's so hardcore, deep, and like <laughs> it hits on multiple multiple meanings, multiple levels that it like really shocked me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and I, I don't, I think that I really need to belabor the point on, you know, why someone who is like longing for this feminine icon uh, as a symbol of freedom, uh, and who, but but keeps stubbornly insisting with this uh, pit of nausea in their stomach that they're a boy, they're a boy, they're a boy. Like, I don't think that I need to go a whole lot further and talk about why that speaks to me on a personal note. But yeah, it it it's really. It's such a um, universal experience that that sort of like uh, coming to grips with uh, a part of your identity that 
doesn't that you that you wish wasn't there right um and and trying to cope with the realization that you know you are you are your own person and that involves uh that involves parts of you that aren't nice and they're not easy to deal with and they make you maybe harder for other people to be around sometimes that's a lot of Mm -hmm. what tobias deals with here um is you know, managing how people look at him and, and how that reminds him that he's always other. Are, are there many books similar to Animorphs or that are geared towards this age group that could be considered hitting it on the nose like that for such a large group of people? Jeez, I don't know. Um, and I, I, I could say that I don't know of many, but I also probably have never really looked or re- like read about it. But like, because this is the first time I've read a book where... I'm reading it. And I'm like, man, this this connects with so many people. Yeah, I, the thing that I think that I can uh, safely say about Animorphs as a series is that I don't think that any other series captured that uh, as consistently mm-hmm. as as Animorphs did. Like even through uh, long stretches of the uh, of the later books are ghost written. And some of those are a little dodgy. Um, you know, this was at a time when Scholastic realized that they had a good thing on their hands and mm. uh, started pushing out three Animorphs books a year, no matter how they had to do it. Um, <laughs> so um, there, there are some clunkers in there, but there, <laughs> but the um, it's it's just so consistently on the mark emotionally um and yeah. and especially with regards to how it how it treats uh trauma of all kinds um and and all sorts of different ways that it can manifest itself and the and the slow building effect yeah of that trauma because you see little uh little things here and there in the beginnings of the series the like the first 10 books um that eventually build and build and build into um, some like really hefty, thoroughly. You can look at all of these characters and describe the ways in which their PTSD uh, affects them on the battlefield. For sure, uh, and there yeah. there are constant like uh, trauma flashbacks. The the characters start talking uh, talk about uh, having trauma, dreams, and nightmares. Um, starting with like the fifth book in the series, I think at least there's there's so much, uh, and it's and it's such a slow burn. To get to and and it feels really satisfying, um, in in, yeah. in a deeply deeply fucked up way to like to get to the end of the series and, you know, um, like I said, there there are plot things that you can take an issue with, I think, um, but the emotional core of the series really really um, persists, I think, through the whole thing. When we when we first spoke, you gave kind of like a list of certain books for me to read to kind of get the vibe on the series and how the characters grow and, and ones you connected with. So the first one is kind of them getting the powers and there's uh there's a one story, one character, Marco, who even initially in book one, his backstory, when he first like gets into trouble with them finding the alien, running from the alien, potentially trying to help the, the planet survive from the aliens. He has like this, crisis because his mom drowned a few years ago and his dad is 
still grieving tremendously mm-hmm. and he has like this internal crisis like i can't go do these things with you guys that's so dangerous because if anything happens to me my dad's not going to make it mm-hmm. and i can't busy i can't be involved in this and that was like incredibly striking to me in this kind of genre demographic and it could just be that i don't read that many books of it but like for this high schooler to have this like deep emotional realization I, w- I found like really powerful yeah and I, I i don't think that that's uh tremendously uncommon in ya especially modern ya uh to have a, a character who's dealing with um with, with some hardcore like f- family loss um and, and and the grieving and the and and the trauma in its own right that that goes along mm-hmm. with that um but I think the ways in which Marco's story plays out are really interesting. Um, I I love Marco. Um, Marco was <laughs> my... I, as much as I loved and related with Tobias, it was on a level that um, uh, it always felt a lot more personal um, to me. It was, it was a very uncomfortable recognition, I think, that I felt uh, towards Tobias. And Marco was a much safer bet for me. <laughs> um, Marco's the the wisecracker, the one who's like really afraid all the time, but kind of deflects that with a bunch of, of jokes, um, and uh, just just tries to keep his mind and everybody else's off of things. Um, and I I could really relate with that as well. Um, I wouldn't really get Marco. Um, until a number of years later. Hmm. Um, when I was in high school, um, both my parents were diagnosed with cancer. Uh, my mom made a full uh, recovery, basically. Uh, my dad did not, and he died uh, a semester before I graduated from college. At the time when I was reading these books, it was very difficult for me to understand that concept of losing a parent. Um, and w- what that, the, and the difference that makes to your family unit and, and to your sense of what you would do to protect that family unit. And so then like looking back, um, and I mean, we're, again, we're going to get into a little bit of spoilers here for, uh, the fifth book in the series, uh, the predator at the end of that book, uh, Marco goes into this sort of mission, which is to uh, try and contact the uh, the Andalite homeworld and and hopefully bring a, a bunch of uh, reinforcements to shorten up this war and get them out of there. Um, he thinks that that's going to be the end of it, and you know, he, he, after that, he's out. Um, he, he can't keep risking his life like this. And at the end, we we find out that. Marco's mom is not dead. Um, her whole boating accident was a cover-up for basically her kidnapping and uh, being the host to Visser One, one of the most powerful uh, of the Yerks. Uh, and that completely flips Marco's whole shit. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's, it, he has... He has a reason to fight. He has not only the uh, potential to rebuild his family, but he has um, 
a, a personal stake and a personal vested hatred in the the things that did this to his family. Um, mm. And over time, Marco grows so far from that sort of wisecracking, uh, oh, I'm uncomfortable, so I'll make a joke sort of stereotype. It, it, I mean, none of these archetypes are particularly original when they start out. Um, and and mm-hmm. it's it's where K. Applegate takes the characters that really makes a difference, and and he becomes so dedicated to to winning at really any cost. Um, Marco is one of the scariest characters in the books. Also, what struck me about Marco at the onset is that he looked like he could easily wear something made by half double design, not your granny's crochet. If you're looking for a new scarf, winter hat, blanket, tie, beanie, or just about anything that can be crocheted together in the highest of quality, look no further than half double design. Amanda's waiting to hear from you and you won't regret it. Check out halfdoubledesign.com for more. Because you, uh, he, he is completely ruthless and it is utterly, completely sympathetic yeah um you you understand why marco does what he does pretty much every single book um and and there's no way that you can blame him for some of the things that he does and you know it's it's again deeply fucked up um i really loved uh seeing where marco went my path was i think book 13 was the one where tobias gets the power to, you know, this, again, this is like spoilers on a, you know, 20, 20 year old book. Sure. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, he, he makes a deal with this kind of like almost the watcher esque character. If you're familiar with comic books, um, who has this all seeing power and he kind of gets tricked into doing this thing. He thinks he's going to be able to turn back into a human and he kind of sort of does. He gets, he, touches his own DNA and is able to morph back into his human form as kind of like a backhanded uh, bonus for him. So that's book 13. And then after that, I went fast forward to book 50 because you wanted to see my, you know, you wanted me to see the progression of these characters. And it Mm. was strike. It was like shocking because, you know, the book really is about a kind of a war between earth and these aliens you know they're they're in hiding all these years and over time these kids are kind of holding them at bay as much as they can and then by the by book 50 there's a uh, this one is told from cassie's point of view and the main thing that i grasped grabbed onto was jake who kind of is the 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 main leader of the kids i think they're not they're all it's kind of hard to tell, call them kids at this point but he has trouble being the leader. Like he doesn't want to anymore because at this point his parents um, are, are kind of like have been captured slash missing. They're not confirmed dead at this point, right? His, oh, Jake's parents at that point in the series, I believe are, 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 are believe, I think they're captured. Okay, yeah. Um, or they're either uh, still captured or they've, um, or, or they've like just been released. Yeah, and and Cassie is kind of, you know, 
refers to him as her love at this point, kind of like in her inner thoughts and her, her parents, her dad is there. Like they're kind of protecting the remaining parents in their group. Mm -hmm. And that causes kind of conflict with, um, I think Rachel's mom is just kind of not into whatever their plan is to like be in a war. She thinks they're all kind of crazy, but, um, Cassie's pushing Jake to be the leader and step up. And he like, doesn't want to, he just like shuns the, the limelight. He's like, I don't, I can't do it anymore. And as you progress into book 50, he starts to step up and it like works against Cassie. Like she pushed him so hard at the beginning of this book to step up and and lead. And then as the book progresses, he becomes kind of this, you know, pseudo ruthless leader to do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. to fight the aliens. And she's kind of like scared Mm -hmm. of him at this point, even though she knows that he needs to be that leader. It's like pushing her away in a manner of speaking. And I thought that that dynamic was just dynamite. Yeah. Their, their, uh, whole thing. Uh, Oh God, Jake and Cassie's love story is such a tragedy. It's like, they're always just a hair's breadth away from really being happy together, but they know that they can never really have that. Um, and what you're, what you're talking about is really the culmination of that. When, when like Jake is like, you know, yeah, you know what? You're right. I, I have, I still have to be the leader here. I have to decide uh, where, where this war takes us. I have to be everyone's general. So we're going to do it my way. And I am extremely tired of fucking around. So we're going to get this done. Um, And yeah. And the, yeah. Yeah, every, everything at that point is is really building to an end where you know nobody is going to be happy. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's like, as much as I think a lot of the fans who were reading the books as they, they came out um, were really hoping that it was going to be a happy ending for somebody, I don't know if you, like, really interrogated any of us. I don't think that any of us could have like really like looked you in the face and told you that somebody was going to come away from this series smiling. It, it felt like the, like as me jumping to book 50, like book, the first 20 books were like these kids getting into mischief with aliens, yeah. narrowly avoiding death. Yeah. And then book 50, it's like, I'm in the future Terminator world where there's just like bombs dropping and they're wearing <laughs> military uniforms. And it's so bleak. I was just like shell shocked. Yeah. Everybody's got bandanas and <laughs> scars <laughs> yeah, over the one eye. quotient went up, <laughs> went up big time. I think the gist of this conversation is I need to read more young adult. I mean, cause I was like. I was telling my wife when I was reading it, I was like, Animorphs is really good. Like, I think <laughs> you know, I've read so many books so far. And I was like, what am I missing here in young adult that I need to dive into? Yeah. Young adult, I think is criminally underrated by a, a great, great portion of both the sort of quote unquote lit thick um, contingent and the, the genre fiction folks. Um, mm-hmm. Which is, uh, it's always a little bit weird to me. Um, I kept reading sort of, honestly, the same books that I had read in in elementary and middle school on through high school and college. I have uh, about 20 Animorphs books uh, on my bookshelf right now, uh, including the two that I actually have in front of me as we record this. 
um, <laughs> that I, I've, I've taken those books with me everywhere that I've moved since college. Um, mm. there's, it's YA as a, um, I, I, I would never call YA a genre. Um, there, there are so many genres within YA. It's, it's, it's about how you're, um, directing the narrative and, and ways in which you're telling it. But there's such a, an open possibility to explore really deep, mature themes that are resonant and poignant um, for the people who these books are being targeted at. Um, because, like, I, I, again, um, I, I mentioned it before when we were talking about Tobias, but these, these ideas of confronting identity and uh, how, to, how to deal with trauma, the, <laughs> the, the sacrifices that we make for family, um, hmm. so many, so many of these things are really, they are life and death matters to a lot of kids. And as we grow up, we learn that these, uh, these fights that, um, that, that consume us so much, uh, happen over and over and over again in so many different ways throughout our lives. And that is what I think really really good young adult fiction does is is it um it's it's resonant and important for the people who are supposed to be reading it first the 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 kids and can also stay with those same kids and with uh adults who need it as well uh for years and years afterwards um and it's accessible it's no i i i have a lot of respect for for young adult fiction and and people who write it, um, and people and people who write it well, um, and K. Yeah. Applegate, I don't think that you can point to a whole lot of authors that have the sheer like audacity of K. A. Applegate, um, the the idea pool of K. A. Applegate. Um, I mm. I really think she had. She had so, so much to say, and I'm, I'm glad that she got a chance to do it in the series. I'm ready for, like, some movie studio to, like, make, in, you know, the, the invasion of the first three books into, like, Fun. a major motion picture. Like, let's get it going Oh, here. my God, you don't even know. God, I got a VHS of the, uh, of, of the TV show <laughs> adaptation uh. from the 90s, um, and I got, the, I got a VHS from the Salvation Army <laughs> of the first episode. Because that is how you consumed media, and uh, and I watched it, and I was so disappointed. Yeah, it's terrible. And I know that. Well, I know that a lot of fans have uh, have affection for it, and I, I don't want to take mm. that away from anybody. But um, I was never going to be satisfied with a with an Animorphs TV show or movie in that era. Uh, the the imagery that it evoked in my brain. Um, and all the all of the ideas that uh, were being stirred up in me were way, 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 way too big uh, to be contained in the the capacities of live action, uh, low budget <laughs> entertainment. Of the time. Oh my god! Yeah, like it's crazy that they could have thought back then that they could make it work in like 1998. Like, I feel yep. like 2018 is, like, the first year where you could say, like, I think we could do it now. I think we could yep. make it work. If Netflix wanted to put all of the money that they decided not to spend on another season of Sense8 
uh, into <laughs> making a uh, the first season of a of a live action. Oh my god! Uh, heavy heavy CGI, dark as fucking nails. Animorphs adaptation. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd be like, I know there's nowhere to camp out, but I'd camp out in front of my TV. I don't know. It's. <laughs> I absolutely would. I absolutely would, too. If you listened to me rambling about Animorphs uh, in a haphazard sort of way all this time and would like to listen to other women talk about Animorphs in a more structured uh, (laughs) and precise sort of way, um, the Morph cast uh, or uh, Morph Club. Sorry. uh, It's uh, at Morph Club cast on uh, on Twitter. Carrie Peach and, and Meg Brennan uh, do a, a really great job of uh, breaking down every single book. And wow. I'm, yeah, they've been at it for a little while there. I think they're on uh, number 45 right now. Um, but yeah, they, they, they're super huge fans and it's, it's, it's really fun to uh, listen to their, their thoughts and analysis on, on, on each successive book. The, the other, uh, thing i want to mention we when we first met we did the podcast interview in new york for comiXology and we started talking about pro wrestling we did and my eyes my eyes lit up we became kindred spirits (laughs) as if we'd known each other in past lives i had been i hadn't been watching uh wrestling for uh half a year at that point but you (laughs) Yeah, I can tell that the thirst to uh, to talk about elbow drops was strong within you. It is, it is because uh, I think at the time with that interview, I made comparisons to pro wrestling and comic books, both as in like the medium and then also the fan base. Like I feel like they're the same people, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was fascinating to me was I think you had started watching NXT, which is WWE's kind of like minor leagues for training but also kind of like the best stuff that they make in terms of like wrestling and storylines yeah i think at the time i compared it to like marvel now like if you want to get into wrestling watch nxt yeah and then you'll figure out you'll figure out the way from there absolutely Um, now have you have you since progressed and i think i have seen this on your twitter feed that you you do watch like monday night raw or you check in do you watch like their pay-per-views or what do you stick to now yeah so i mean um i've been going back and forth on uh watching raw and watching smackdown uh it's a lot of wrestling matt it's too much they make a lot of it (laughs) (laughs) there's uh if i were i mean and i uh i only watch the hulu cuts of raw um but even so, that's two hours of Raw, two hours of SmackDown. God, God forgive me if I ever wanted to get into 205 Live. That's another hour. Uh, NXT is an hour. Um, I prioritize NXT above all um, still. But I, I, have, I think I have generally gotten into sort of a groove of watching raw and smackdown a week maybe two before a pay-per-view um sort of get caught up on things um and then go in watch the pay-per-view um if as as long as there's like a majority of matches that i'm looking forward to seeing yeah i watched the shit out of the royal rumble i'll tell you that much (laughs) i mean i i could go on and on about seeing lita uh, come out number five at the first women's Royal Rumble in history 
with China's name written on her fucking arm. Uh, that was incredible. Um, yeah, it was amazing. But there's just there's just too much. Like I I grew up watching it. Like when I was growing up, ECW was in Philadelphia, so I would like VHS tape that and watch like raw and stuff if i could stay up that late but as in like an adult now like they're i feel like long term they've really hurt their quote-unquote product every wrestling fan likes to say the product yeah but like (laughs) there's like like 15 hours of wrestling just from one company a week yeah and it's it's like crazy like even the three hours of monday night raw and i know like they do that for the advertising revenue like they have to now at least Mm -hmm. um but it's almost like, I mean, the inner, the in, inside machinations of the wrestling industry is just so fascinating about how, like, Triple H, who's married to Vince McMahon's daughter, is kind of overseeing NXT. So he's kind of, like, doing his own thing as, like, a wrestling fan would. And that's what, shockingly, what most people, like, enjoy as, like, this is what wrestling should be. Yeah. And I, what I've heard is that he's actually overseeing 205 Live now. Yeah. So that's closer to the original concept of the cruiserweight classic and me as a wrestling fan, I'm like so stoked that Vince is doing the XFL. Um, because for the main reason, doing wrestling. yeah, for the main reason that like, if that's <laughs> successful, he, he does less pro wrestling stuff Yeah, because most people don't realize, but he still is in charge of Monday night raw and SmackDown and those pay-per-views right. like at his age. He's there for every event. He's, it's, it's crazy. He's there for every event. He is constantly talking in everybody's ear. Uh, like he is, he's back in gorilla position right behind where people come out. Um, and you know, you, you leave the, uh, the stage, you leave the ring, um, and you can get pretty instant feedback from Vince on whether you did a good job out there, kid, or you sucked and Vince doesn't want to talk to you for a week. <laughs> right. um, and so I, I can't imagine, but like that, uh, giving uh, giving people a little bit less pressure might be nice sometimes. Uh, mm. And I mean, Vince's ideas are Vince's ideas. The man has a muscle fetish. It's like <laughs> disgustingly obvious. <laughs> I don't want to think about Vince McMahon enjoying oily muscles as much as he does. But oh he my do. god! Oh, he do, Matt. Do you remember? In the, I'm not sure you watched the. I remember when he was. This was later in the years of like the Stone Cold Steve Austin drama where where he they were battling, but Vince would get into these matches, and they I think he was in a like a battle royal or Royal Rumble match, and he came out to the ring. He was so oily mm-hmm. wearing that like a shirt. Oh god, my! I don't even know how it's physically possible to be that oiled and not combust <laughs> instantly. <laughs> he was he was something of a fire hazard. I think he was. Um, any, I mean, any open flame, it's game over for him. And I mean, we're not even talking about the elephant in the room, which is that he's a close personal friend of Donald Trump's, um, oh, and yeah. he is like he is a legitimate billionaire. And I have strong socialist feelings about what I would like to do with billionaires. Um, mm-hmm. But Vince McMahon is also a dude who is well over seventy. Um, yeah, and we'll go out into the ring and let Kevin Owens uh, deliver a straight hard headbutt to his dome. It's crazy, so that he can get like a little bit of blood spot in there. I was even shocked that that they allowed that because they don't even do like chairs to the head anymore, and you you might as well do the same thing. Sure, but it's Vince. 
and Vince McMahon, <laughs> as has been established over several decades of sports entertainment, does not give a shit. So you, so you, you're keeping up on NXT. I am. Uh, we, I was lucky enough to go to the Philly Takeover show oh. uh, with my wife and son. We had uh, like amazing seats. It was like once in a lifetime. I was like, let's go to this and experience it. It was fantastic, and we actually had to plan like the day out because James, my son, is seven. We're like. How's he going to stay awake? The show doesn't really start until 8 p.m. And he's like an hour asleep by that point. Yeah. So we so we like tried to work a nap in. We gave him like the most amount of sugar he's ever consumed in one evening. And so, like we have photos like of him. Parent. Yeah. I mean, he was eyeing up like cotton candy as if he just did a line of cocaine. Like his eyes were wide open. So he eventually crashed. Um, after Ember Moon's match. So he was able to see Ember's match. He was super happy. Oh, That's like his good. favorite. He got an Ember Moon t-shirt. Um, oh my God. Is he, is he, is your kid a, a huge Ember Moon fan? He is. Yeah. Actually, I'm oh. my wife too. They got matching shirts at the event. It was amazing. Oh my God. That makes me so happy. Ember Moon <laughs> is my favorite. I don't know if I yelled that at you when, uh, <laughs> when we were doing the podcast. Um, I don't know if she debuted at that point it might have been around there yeah i actually didn't uh i i liked her finishing move i didn't think she was like great on the mic like sometimes when i watch i like hear people talk i'm like ah you still need some still need some work yeah but i feel like she's great now um i think the storyline she's in is fantastic i love it it's 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 fantastic um she's had now like a couple of near like a, a dusty finish and mm. a, uh, a a very very close clean finish uh with with Shayna Baszler which makes both of them come out of it looking really really strong she's so she has so much fire and presence on the mic now i definitely mm-hmm. agree with what you what you're saying like when she came up um and and made her debut like there was definitely a reason that she wasn't on the mic for a while right um but that's that's really part of what i love about nxt um is that you get to see these people getting better and better and better at their job in ways that are i think more obvious certainly more obvious to me as someone who has a limited uh albeit passionate experience with pro wrestling Mm -hmm. um like it's it's definitely easier to look at somebody on nxt and say oh they're like they're selling a lot better than they used to, or mm-hmm. they they're delivering much better promos than they used to. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's been incredible to watch her improve things uh, that she wasn't uh, particularly good at. It's been awesome to watch her hone things that she was already fantastic at. Yeah, namely her finishing maneuver, which is still just the sickest thing. I I actually love it so much, but I also am worried for her like lower back, like doing that move three times a night, three times a week or like what, however often they tour, because it looks like you're really compounding your spine maybe too much. I I really hope that she's like spending maybe a little bit of time with Stone Cold even um, (laughs) to try to just to talk about like how to manage back pain in a constructive way. Uh, Cause I, I can't imagine how many stone cold centers do you think that that man's delivered? Another episode of link in bio in the books. Thanks for listening. If you liked it, maybe tweet out a link, maybe Facebook message someone. 
Maybe call up your cousin on the telephone and say you liked it and that they should listen. You know? Maybe leave a review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever they call it now. If you didn't like it, well, you can't win them all, right? Goodbye.